Happy Easter, everyone. It is a blessing to be with you. Special thank you to the Passantians for leading us in worship. I've been rocking out here myself alone. I have plenty of room to spread out and do my worship dancing. So that's one positive of this time. As I've said that throughout, as we've been live streaming our services, I consider it a great privilege to speak into your life during a very difficult season. I know that some of us are experiencing more difficulties than others, and our thoughts and prayers are with you. We are the Glendale Church. We consider ourselves a home in LA, but for you, if you're joining us from anywhere, you are welcome here. We're so thankful that you're joining us. To our church family, it is sad to not be with you. It's very odd to continue to preach to an empty auditorium. And it's especially difficult on Easter because Easter is such an energizing time. It's pastor's Super Bowl. And so to not have you all with me, remembering the fact that the tomb is empty is hard and you're very dearly missed. But that doesn't mean that God's not alive. Because church, the tomb is empty. And I know that at times like this, it can be difficult to believe that. And if you're struggling to believe that right now because of the circumstances in our world, or just you've always been skeptical about that, I completely understand. So does Jesus. In Matthew 28, there's this very strange passage where the resurrected Lord is with the disciples And it says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Which is so confusing, right? Okay, the risen Lord is, is standing there in front of you. How are some of you doubting? Jesus has to be thinking like, what do I have to do for y'all to show me some love? Look at what I've done. Look at what I've overcome. But even among this 11, the disciples, while they're gathered and worshiping, still some aren't so sure. And I feel like in our world today, we are very much like those who are doubting. And it is fine if you're doubting, if you have questions, But oftentimes, I think it's a way that we protect ourselves. We don't want to be gullible. We think at times that science has made us more virtuous and technology has helped us to figure everything out. It's really hard for us to be in amazement, to be wowed anymore. There's an author named Paul Vischer who says this, for me and many others in my generation, the real root of our cynicism is personal. When we were young, our parents broke their promises, their promises to each other and their promises to us. Millions of American kids in a very short period of time learn that the world isn't a safe place, that the world will let you down and that your heart is just too fragile to leave exposed. So we use sarcasm and cynicism to build up a wall around us. I think that's true. We've seen promises that are broken. If you've lived for any amount of time, you've had relationships that have hurt you. You've had people who have let you down. Honestly, it's just easier at times not to give your heart to anything. So we stand on the sideline and we critique. We leave movies and we ask, oh, did you think that was good? You leave church and you ask the same thing. Was that a good service? 
we sit at home on our computers and act like we could make better movies or do something better if we were given the opportunity. I think of Jimmy Kimmel's segments where celebrities read mean tweets. There's one in particular, it was from a couple years ago, the, the celebrities would read the tweets that people wrote about them. It included these. Selena Gomez is on the radio right now. Is there a volume lower than mute? I saw Larry King at dinner, but it might've just been a run-of-the-mill goblin. My Asian orthodontist says Jessica Biel has horse teeth. Wow, David Arquette got old. I'm not being mean, but why does Anderson Cooper remind me of dinosaurs? And these celebrities read these tweets and they have long faces and they're sad and they get hurt because these people from their couches are writing things about them. We live in a world where we can just stand at arm's distance. And honestly, it's just easier that way, right? It's easier to stand away and say, I can't really believe in something that good. What if what we're protecting ourselves from is actually joy? What if what we're protecting ourselves from is meaningful life? Life that helps us to believe in things that go way beyond ourselves. Life that helps us to think past the difficulties of a certain moment, to live into hopeful realities that can change us forever. I know it's easy to just stand on the sideline and say that the problems of the world are other people and it's all outside of us, but let's be honest. When we think about evil and sickness and death, it isn't just when pandemics come. It's also when we recognize that there's brokenness in all of us, there's evil in all of us. Pastor Tony Campolo says it this way. He says, the best proof we have of the existence of evil is we know what we need to do and we can't do it. We know that we are part of the problem. We're part of death coming into the world. Can we really choose hope? Not only to believe that Jesus Christ rose again 2,000 years ago, but can we choose to hope in ourselves even when we know we're broken. The gospels tell us the story of Jesus rising from the dead. John tells it this way in John chapter 20, verses one through 18. I'd love for you to grab a Bible and read along with me. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter And the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, which is how John refers to himself, the one who Jesus loved, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So John wants to let you know, just FYI, I'm faster than Peter. Let's just record that for human history. He bent over, and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. 
Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, once again reminding you that, yes, I am in fact faster than Peter, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look to the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I've not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. As she told them that, he said these things to her. This is a scene that if you were to describe it in one word, you might use the word chaos. Everyone is, is going everywhere. People are running, some faster than others. Mary is meeting Jesus and Jesus says, don't get too clingy because like I got to go later. It's a very odd interaction. There's just a lot power packed into this scene. And it's this story which has truly transformed the world for 2000 years. It's really remarkable how this story happened and the events that it describes because immediately the world changed. Early on, the religious movement of Christianity started among Jews. It was Jews who were converting to Christianity mainly at the very beginning. In fact, most outsiders thought that this was a Jewish sect. And eventually they start to let Gentiles in and figure out that's basically a lot of why the New Testament was written. But early on, it starts with Jewish believers. So it's truly remarkable that they believe that a resurrection has happened, that they turn their lives around. And what's maybe most remarkable is that because of the fact that the tomb is empty, because of the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead, the Jewish early believers switched worshiping from Saturday on the Sabbath to Sunday, the first day of the week. That is unbelievable. Almost immediately after this event happens, there are people who go from worshiping on Saturday to worshiping on Sunday. Now, I've been working in church ministry for 15 years, and I have to tell you, getting church people to change is no easy task. Think about it. Imagine how difficult it would be for me to try to convince you that I'm starting some new religion, which I'm not going to, but imagine that I tried to convince you that I was starting something and we said, okay, we're going to meet on Tuesdays. How does that work for you? It doesn't really make sense. It's like, how is that even possible? How did this move from immediately worshiping on Saturdays and the Jewish practices to worshiping Jesus on a whole new day of the week? Getting church people to change is unbelievable. There's the old joke, how many church people does it take to change a light bulb? And all the church people say, change? We're not allowed to change. I mean, raise your hand if you've experienced that. I'm seeing lots of hands raised in this empty room. 
A change is hard, but immediately this Jewish group of believers starts to worship on a new day of the week. Something must have happened. There's a letter that goes from a guy named Pliny the Younger who is doing some research and looking into this Christian sect and he writes it to the emperor Trajan just a couple decades after Paul has died. And he describes their worship like this. The sum and substance of their fault had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing a responsive hymn to Christ as to a God to bind themselves by oath, not to some crime, but not to commit fraud, theft, adultery, or falsify their trust, not to refuse to return a trust when called to do so. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again, to partake of food late in the evening, ordinary and innocent food. This letter goes from Pliny the Younger to Emperor Trajan, basically saying this group of people, they worship this Jesus as if he's a God. And we've spent some spies in to look into their worship practices and they oddly worship before dawn and then they come back together at night and they eat food and it's just so innocent. This is the way these Christians were described. And they gathered early in the morning and then late at night because for them, Sunday was Monday. It was a time when that wasn't a day off. They gathered around their work schedules to worship the risen Lord. Imagine what that would be like. All right, everybody, we're going to start worship on Tuesdays at 5 a.m. Let's see how many of us would be there. This sort of stuff is happening immediately after Jesus' life. It's almost like something miraculous happened. And then New Testament writers start to refer to death in an interesting way. They use the metaphor of sleep to refer to death. They say that dying is just like sleep. What is it that happens after you sleep? You wake up, right? The world has changed because the tomb is empty and the world still changes because the tomb is empty. I love the interaction that Jesus has with Mary at the tomb when Jesus says Mary to her and all of a sudden it comes into focus. Do you believe that the risen Lord calls you by name, into a new reality, into a new life, that Jesus looks directly at you and says, I see how you unfortunately have still been participating some in death and destruction and brokenness, but let me call you forward by name into this new resurrection life. Because Mary, Brian, the tomb is empty. Come with me. You ever thought about why the stone is rolled away 
Scriptures are very specific that this stone was very big and it's rolled away from the tomb where Jesus' body was. And in some ways it's unnecessary because a few verses after John tells us that the stone was rolled away, Jesus enters into a room with his disciples like a ghost. He doesn't open the door, he just enters in. So it wasn't necessary for Jesus to have the stone rolled away. What I think it teaches us is that the stone being rolled away invites us into a resurrection kind of life. I love how Sean Silverman says this. He says, the stone is rolled away, not because Jesus needed it to, but because we do. The stone is rolled away so that we can go in to enter into true life with God. We can sometimes talk in churches about, you know, inviting Jesus into your heart, but Jesus doesn't want to come into your heart or just a little part of your life. Your life is a wreck. There are things that are broken inside all of us. What God wants to do is invite us into the resurrection life to recognize that the tomb is empty. It's a way for us to enter in. Goodness is sprouting up everywhere because of the work of Jesus. There's this odd passage in the gospel of Luke. It talks about Herod and Pilate who are working on the crucifixion of Jesus together. And it tells us this about them, that they had become friends. Before this, they had been enemies. And it's a bad thing to unite over. But everywhere that Jesus goes, the things that he does, he brings people together. He makes friends out of enemies because of the goodness of Jesus. Just new things and new possibilities are sprouting up everywhere. And the good news is that didn't just stop 2,000 years ago. And we're invited into new life with God. Jesus looks at all of us and calls us by name and says on Easter Sunday, because of the resurrection, you don't have to let that define you anymore. Come forward. Walk with me. The tomb is empty. We've seen that throughout history. There's example after example. In 2017, the Coptic church that was in Egypt was bombed on Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. 47 people were killed. And the next Sunday, they were wondering, will the church gather there? But on Easter Sunday, the church was more packed than it had ever been. And the priest said to this group of people, which had faced death and hardship and brokenness, I hope those who attacked us are sleeping well, because we're all sleeping like babies. I think back to 2006, where a man named Charles Roberts went into an Amish school and shot 10 young girls. Five of them died. Almost immediately, the world was shocked because Roberts ended up killing himself. The Amish people showered unbelievable grace on that family. 
They didn't want to disrupt the funeral service. But as the Roberts family came to the graveside, there were 40 members of that Amish community waiting for them to give them a hug, show them forgiveness, the love that they had. And we hear stories like that around the time of Easter, and we think that is unbelievable. And we wonder deep down, can we really face that kind of stuff with hope? I believe we can, and we are. I asked members of our church family to participate in a call and response, even though we aren't together. A typical call and response on Easter Sunday is to have the worship leader say, Christ is risen, and the congregation to respond, he or Christ is risen indeed. So I asked a few members of our church to participate in that, even though we aren't physically together. So church, Christ is risen he is, he is risen, risen indeed. indeed. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. He has risen indeed. He is 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 risen indeed. Christ is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. He has risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. 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 The tomb is empty. And I know not all of you know all the stories of those people. It warms my heart to see their faces and it is a blessing to hear their voices. But for those of you who don't know all their story and not even our members know all that's going on with all of them, these are people who are facing some hard times right now. Like all of us, we're wondering, we have questions There's some in that video who've tested positive for COVID-19. There's some in that video who are very worried about their health situation. There are some in that video who've lost work. There are some in that video who are afraid they're gonna lose work over the next few months. There are some in that video who work at hospitals. There are some who serve in essential industries where they have to keep showing up. Yet, We all have a hope in the resurrection of Jesus. We have a hope in the fact that the tomb is empty. And even as we look at our circumstances and it's hard and we have questions and we wonder if evil will prevail, may we have hope. May we enter into true life with God and say that he is risen indeed. The tomb is empty. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for all those who've gone before us 2,000 years ago and more recent history who remind us of what it is to live life 
with your resurrection in our minds. May we choose to enter in, the stone has been rolled away so that we may enter into this new life with you. Father, may we celebrate Easter, even though it's a different way to celebrate it this year. May we celebrate with hope because even though things are hard for a lot of us, you are still at work and the tomb is empty. Father, may we say with our lives, with our words and our actions, you have risen indeed. It's in your son, Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Again, thank you for joining us and happy Easter.